Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trunarna Undheim, futurist and author. In episode 89 of the podcast, the topic is gig mobility. Our guest is Ryan Green, CEO and co-founder of Gridwise. In this conversation, we talk about whether gig mobility services become the standard for how we move in cities. What does the future of driver intelligence look like? We discuss the emerging market size and key verticals such as transportation, city government, real estate, and financial services. We cover disruptive forces and barriers such as COVID-19, security, data protection, and IP. I asked Ryan about the exciting startups he sees in the space, and we discuss the next decade's autonomy, data sharing, and mobility as a service adoption. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Yeah, it's a fantastic day to talk about mobility. It's always a good day to talk about mobility. Yeah. Well, Ryan, you are an interesting guy, U.S. veteran, Uber driver, and founder of a startup. What what happened? <laughs> that's the that's like the normal path that most people take, right? I, yes. <laughs> yeah, very uh, very non traditional path, I would say, to to get to where I am. But it's uh, I think all those different experiences that I that I've had have, have brought me to being the uh, co founder and CEO of Gridwise now. Well, so what is gig mobility? What what is this idea? Yeah, I I would say is. Um, as we think about gig mobility is the way we think about that. It's really kind of defined by the uh, movement of people and goods uh, through a, uh, in an on-demand fashion. And so when you think of the, the prominent services that are you know, continued to continue continuously rapid, uh, continue to rapidly grow, such as uh, Uber, Lyft uh, services on the ride hail side, or the delivery services like Postmates, DoorDash, Instacart for food delivery, grocery, et cetera, is really encompassing is if you think of you know, the on-demand movement of people and goods from point A to point B, is we see that that's kind of encompassing of the, the gig mobility space because mobility as a whole is it's a pretty broad, broad ecosystem. So that's kind of the, the focus area of gig mobility. I know, you know, as, as a... As someone in the space, you're going to probably say that this is going to grow. But when and how will these types of mobility become kind of the standard for how we move around in cities? It, it obviously, you know, mobility has taken a bit of a hit uh, recently, temporarily, mm-hmm. hopefully. But yeah. uh, what, what are you seeing and, and, and what will decide whether, whether this will become indeed uh, just sort of a small part of of our mobility, or indeed it's going to move into kind of any every any and every part of the mobility chain. Yeah, you know, I think it's um, if you look at over the past ten years, I would say that you know we, this these services are definitely trending to become the the standard for how how we move from point A to point B, uh, how we consume uh, food, order food or groceries or things of that sort, and it's it's hit an interesting an interesting point in time um, with, you know, with everything that's gone on through this, this pandemic that we've gone through, you know, starting in 2020 to where you've seen on the, the delivery side, I, I think people have, have really deepened the habits around using the food delivery and grocery delivery platforms or uh, the parcel delivery through ordering through the e-commerce or things of that sort. And so I think these are, 
this year of 20, the year of 2020 going into 2021 is really defined, um, uh, really uh, defined uh, these companies or these types of uh, delivery platforms as more of a, a standard uh, for the time being. And, and, and that may normalize and, 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 and kind of detract a little bit as, as things get, as we get back to whatever this new normal looks like. Um, but I do see that, you know, the, this is going to be a rapidly growing market from here on out. On the on the right hill side is I, I think it's really going to it's it's coming down to you're, you're going to see these services have become more of a standard in, in urban areas and, and will take time to expand into the more suburban areas for adoption there. But I mean, you look at nationwide, I believe that uh ride hill like total vehicle miles traveled i think ride hill only makes a, a like a, a couple makes up a couple of percent of those miles um whereas you look at cities like san francisco uh, for example is they make up 23 percent of those miles uh, which is a big number and, okay. and so you're you're seeing that continuing to grow and you're going to see that uh those vehicle miles traveled cover and utilize more um, more miles traveled within you know, the cities like New York and San Francisco and Chicago and LA, and, and that continue to I think really there's more and more density to cover there in those big cities over the next let's say five years, but over the next ten years I think is where these services have become solidified themselves as the standard. But it but they'll also be complemented with other modes of demand responsive transportation, like uh, shuttles, uh, tra- micro transit shuttles that are kind of really focused on pockets and zones of the cities or car- carpooling services like VIA um, as well. So I think when you bring all of those together, it's just really going to become about this like on-demand, uh, the, the way we move is going to become about this on-demand uh, multimodal travel to get to where we need to be. So these uh, smart city discussions, I were, was part of them in, in Europe a long time ago, and they have taken a while. And, and, and I think uh, it was always assumed that there was a very advanced public infrastructure that had to be built out before this could take off. But tell me a little bit about, even just now, as you are launching what you call, I believe, driver intelligence, what sort of data is it that you're basing your intel and analytics that you're giving to to the drivers in sort of in, in the net in the various partner networks that you have uh, you know with your company w- where are you getting all of this data from mm-hmm. yeah so when we think about the the analytics that we provide to the drivers as one of those uh, key stakeholders in this ecosystem is our, our app is really focused on providing analytics that can help drivers make real-time decisions, help them plan ahead for when's the best times to drive based off their personal preferences or, or schedule, um, but also helping them track their performances across all the services they drive for, or 70% of them drive for at least two or more services. And, and so really, the when we think of the operational decision-making of when and where I should be driving, well, we're, we're aggregating numerous um, uh, data from numerous types of uh, sources, such as uh, event feeds, airport traffic, transit schedules, weather, and, and other data sources that help us kind of gain a measure for like population density across cities at different times as that changes. And and so what we're doing in our in our back end is, is um, kind of through our models is we're, we're providing, we're processing, deduplicating and providing developing insights to provide to the drivers through real-time alerts based off of their current location of where there may be a nearby opportunity or there may be uh, an event letting out, which was more relevant before uh, the pandemic, uh, as well as our uh, information around airport traffic, et cetera. Um, and then 
they're using they're seeing forecasts of a lot of that similar types of those similar types of information through the app and the content that's displayed there where they can come in and actually see forecasts of airport traffic they can actually see um, through recent features we've put out uh, be able to see kind of how uh, demand is changing across different regions of the city uh, based off of particular types of metrics or particular types of service types, whether you wanted to analyze this from a food delivery standpoint or a, a ride share standpoint or grocery, et cetera. And, and really, so with that kind of covers like the operational, um, operational decision-making and the analytics that we provide to support that. And then a, a big part is really just as, as these drivers are turning those apps on and off on the road, their performance and activity is completely fragmented across the service providers they're driving for. And so what GridWise does is those apps turn on and off as we stay on and we're able to track their performance across all the services that they drive for. Uh, we support about 25 different services now on the ride hail and delivery side. And we aggregate and, and provide kind of a central source of truth to help them really understand their performance as a gig driver, but also be able to see the breakdowns of their stats across those different services and then help them track analytics over time of their driving patterns across the city to say like, hey, here's where I'm getting the most trips from. Here's where I'm uh, spending the most time without you know, any passenger in my vehicle or any goods, or I'm waiting too long in these particular areas for to pick up food. So there's, there's many types of uh, insights and analytics that we're really just focused on providing to help them just really make, help them make more informed decisions that pretty much directly impacts their, their bottom line or their earnings. Ryan, I can imagine that this clearly is valuable for a gig mobility driver because that you you simplify their life, you give them analytics, you perhaps help them earn more money. How are you partnering or not with with the service providers? Because you know, if I was an an Uber initially, I guess I would say, "Hey, Ryan, you're just complicating my life." <laughs> but then if you think about it in a larger picture, I guess of course you'll be like, "Okay, well, we're not going to be the only one." Yeah. The only one, well, unless they do indeed start providing for 100% of, of a worker's life, right? But if they mm -hmm. still want to continue on this freelancer idea, then clearly the reality is that these drivers are going to have many bosses and, and many uh, and many opportunities. How, mm -hmm. uh, how are you seeing this ecosystem sort of evolve in, in terms of uh, what what services and analytics you will provide and what, what these companies will provide. Is there a balance? Will you also be starting to supply information back to these um, these companies or is this purely an individual service? That's a great question. I would say that, you know, I mean, the service providers, the service providers themselves is, uh, I think they would come out publicly and say this, like, hey, you're you're kind of uh, distorting my the, our algorithms and the way we're trying to influence where we want our supply of drivers to be to match passenger demand. But yeah, the challenge, I mean, uh, you, you spoke to it right there is uh, the challenge that they're dealing with is that they're these, these drivers are, are 1099 contractors. They, they have multiple services that are driving for, and those services are essentially playing tug of war between them all and all trying to get them to go where they want them to go. And sometimes it's the same place and sometimes, and a lot of times it's not. And so if really where we see the benefit um, over time and kind of our position is, is in being service agnostic and becoming this service layer and data layer over the ecosystem, the data, the service providers that um, uh, the service providers who, who are operating within this ecosystem. And so I think is um, for us is we have a, a better position to 
to really influence the uh, positively influence the balance of supply and demand as we have more of a macro or comprehensive view into how all the services are operating in any major city across the U.S. opposed to just one. And so we do see a world where we're not really focused on providing data back to the service providers. Um, I think that would put us in a sticky sticky position, uh, but as more so I think is developing technologies that enable us to augment their, their operations as we're, as we're building uh, a fairly large uh, network of drivers that are operating across multiple services is we have the opportunity to be able to allow those services to plug into our technology or into our systems and say, it's like, Hey, I'm getting passenger requests right now. My, the soonest, the, 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 the lowest AT, ETA I have to this passenger is 13 minutes uh, who is online on my platform. But if I ping into Gridwise, I actually see that there's drive, there's about six other drivers who just aren't online on my service at this time, and uh, but could provide a two-minute ETA for that passenger. And so let me ping this into Gridwise and feed this job into Gridwise and be able to uh, allow me to have a better provide a better experience for the customers and 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 have a lower ETA. Wow. And so I, I I think where I think where we where we continue to grow is in uh, focuses in building a, you know, a large network of drivers that can be in, in focus on empowering those workers and then creating ways, um, you know, starting to feed uh, other jobs and, and opportunities like that into our platform where we allow drivers to earn directly from Gridwise as well. Wow. So I guess I'm, I'm interested in, in certainly two parts of this network, but, and, and we've been talking a little bit about these 25 services. Can you give me some uh, details on who are the biggest mobility providers right now because it's very easy to just think of of, of kind of uber like the, the, the taxi type services but what you're talking about is also the ups's and uh, and and the grocery delivery and and all mm-hmm. of that w- what are the biggest ones if you were just going to lay out the the u.s landscape right now w- w- which players uh, are are doing the most business so in other words you know uh, out of the i think last time we spoke you said you had forty thousand drivers and maybe it has increased but um, how are they spread on these 25 services? Yeah, I would say it's in terms of our, our active drivers, we look at any, in any given quarter, we have over 120,000 drivers that's growing, um, growing pretty, uh, at a pretty healthy pace. And I, I would say in terms of the, the service providers them, themselves, I mean, if you think on, on the ride hail side, that's a, a pretty, pretty easy go-to where you'd think Uber and Lyft are, are definitely, um, the, the largest owners of market share there. But when you look at the delivery landscape is, I would say is, uh, it's been interesting to see, I think over the past few years as DoorDash has become the leader in food delivery is um, they're, they're owning a, a very large portion of the market right now. Um, and right behind them would be Uber Eats. Uh, and then you'll go into um, Grubhub, Postmates or, or, or not too far behind mm-hmm. uh, those. The in terms of grocery, uh, what we're seeing is is Instacart definitely um, is the the market share leader there. Uh, with uh, companies like Shipt, uh, who are who are growing pretty rapidly, but just aren't up to where Instacart is from a market share standpoint. And it'll be interesting to see over the next you know two to three years of where Corner Shop comes into play, which is uh, really a company that Uber just acquired uh, from South America. And, and brought them up into uh, uh, the U.S. to start operating the grocery component of their business. So that's something that Uber's obviously getting into all of these um, uh, many, a multitude of, of businesses here 
And so I think that they, they may be a significant player because they have distribution through the Uber app already hmm. um, to allow or enable uh, more rapid growth. What about on the supply of uh, of kind of goods and uh, and mail and other things? I mean, do, are you at all plugged into those, or or is it? Are you making a distinction between whether they are gig workers or or I mean, if they're employees, you you can't tap into it in the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we do make that distinction between gig workers and um, and full time employees. Is we're we're not plugged into the the FedExes or the UPSs of the world, but we are. I would say plugged into the the movement of goods through Amazon Flex or through Rody are uh, two companies there, and then you'll see Postmates is 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 gotten into the movement of of everything as well, hmm. and so um, we do we do cover the those services is where you see I mean Amazon Flex is really fulfilling so many different types of jobs whether they may tie into some of the the Prime Now or grocery delivery things as well as the um, the the parcel delivery of of fulfilling Amazon, the delivery of Amazon packages. And then Rody's really built a B2B business that may be delivering your lost luggage from the airport or delivering, you know, you, you may want to deliver something to a friend and and you just request that from Rody uh, and, and, and the driver will take that to wherever it needs to go. What are the the disruptive forces in this market for you uh, right now? So, what, what you know is it the technology that is uh, driving things right now? Is it more regulation which you're watching? Is it these sort of creative new business models that you and others are are creating around the analytics, or or is it more the response on the social dynamics of it all? In other words, you know, the response in the in the consumer markets uh, to to all of these emerging. Uh, services which obviously are evolving a little bit as as the analytics of the drivers are, are changing too mm-hmm. where, where what impacts the market the most right now yeah i would say is um from a software standpoint or technology i think that's what what's enabled enabled the acceleration of these services the acceleration of growth of these services to, to be where we are now but i do think that as we've the market is somewhat matured in terms of the adoption of, of these types of services, which still has a long way to go um, or a, a big opportunity at hand uh, to, to grow into is I think a, a lot of it's coming down to how these services optimize and how these services um, really kind of expand their business, their lines of business there. So they, you know, I mentioned Uber getting into grocery and they, uh, they just acquired Drizzly for alcohol delivery. There's, they're really taking this approach of building a, a kind of wide variety of services and solutions. So, but when we think of the optimized uh, side of things, I do think it does come down to the, the the data and how you can leverage data to optimize and enhance the way you operate services. How you how you price and uh, the price mechanics become so critical of how you think about compensation for the gig workers. How you incentivize them. How you price on the the rider the rider side of the equation as well. And how is that changing across the entire landscape um, in, you know, on a daily or even on an hourly or intraday basis? Um, And so I think it's becoming very critical to have a purview into like what what is happening across this ecosystem and how are these trends changing um, to be able to best operate and expand uh, your your business. Um, The. At the same time, I, I think a, a driving force that is disrupting the industry and hasn't disrupted it yet, but is is on the cusp of being able to, is is really just the 
the the rights uh, and, and benefits uh, provided to the gig workers. I mean, there's just uh, debates day in and day out, um, as we saw uh, leg, uh, reg, uh, legislation come out of, of California related to the AB, AB5 or Prop 22 um, propositions and, and, and kind of forcing the, the gig services to provide more benefits and minimum wage standards and, and, and things of that sort. But I think is what we're seeing is there's, I think what we're seeing in this industry is that there's there's W two or ten ninety nine is is are two structures that have worked but may not work with the new type of work that is really growing in the gig economy, and so that there's there's not a good solution out there that's really providing the most adequate or equitable uh, uh, benefits or wages or compensation to these workers now. And what you're seeing is just these debates sprouting up across every city in the U.S. Is just after California did this. It's popping up in New York. It's popping up in other cities, and so I think the service providers are really going to be—they're going to have—they have their hands full in dealing with these issues. And there's in over the next, you know, one, two, three years, I think there'll be some significant changes that come about um, based off of really the uh, industry recognizing that the way that the services are operating and um, and kind of have structured their relationships with gig workers is just not the right way to do this right now. And so I think based off of whatever that outcome is that that could significantly impact or disrupt the way that these services operate uh, in, in the U S it would seem to me though, that in the U S the solution is fairly simple. I mean, the amount of minutes you're logged into a provider uh, you know, the company can't compensate you less than minimum wage per hour. I, I don't understand how that, <laughs> that would be a baseline principle. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it, why would there be a discussion about that? Yeah, I mean, I, there there shouldn't. It should be pretty clear and simple. I, I think is it's the the challenges obviously that the service providers are facing is that they're they're trying to strive towards profitability. They don't. They're not close to being profitable. They ambition. They have ambitions to be by the end of twenty twenty one. And and so they're fighting this this battle of it's like hey we we're a public company now we're trying to get to uh, you know investors have a keen eye on us we're trying to get to profitability but at the same time as like you know any changes to our economics or the, our our structure here is going to deter from that yeah and so how do we kind of bring all of that together and that's where the I think the the challenges is between the the companies and and the actual workers I I do think that another challenge is when you think of the the offline like the, the online time of being compensated um, uh, a minimum wage for that is like the other challenges that I mentioned earlier is that these drivers are, they're, they're bouncing between multiple apps. And so as they're doing so is there's a lot of time where like, as a, as a, someone who's been an Uber driver themselves, what I would do and what other drivers do is that you, you may be taken out far into the suburbs and you're, you're, you're taken out there is, and you're going to turn off your app at that point and go offline because you don't want to be subject to getting another trip so far out that takes you even further outside the city uh, that will maybe prevent you from actually having a ride back into the city at all. And so what you do is you turn off your app and then you drive back to where you think is the best place to position yourself. And so at that point, you're, you're still working. Your, your, your intention is to work for the service, but you're just repositioning yourself. And so that's where I think for as we're going to, and we're starting to work with, with researchers and other stakeholders in this ecosystem is we're trying to shed light into how, as we capture that entire work time, 
even when they're they're offline or offline, it doesn't matter from a grid-wise perspective. We care about when do they start working and when do they stop and, and seeing like what is that full duration of work time that they're actually accumulating to tie into their, their wages opposed to just online time. Um, can you map out some of the other startups that operate in this space? And, you know, I'm just going to list off some, and I'm sure that they all have very different takes on whether they're on the analytic side, on the fleet side of this question. So, you know, Gridwise uh, is your company. Move It, Movil, Immense, Mobileo, Dufel, GeoShore. I mean, some of these are are more geographical systems. Others, I guess, are a little bit similar to yours. Generally, the startup space around mobility, what are some of the exciting things that you're seeing? I mean, you, you don't have to talk about specific companies if you're uncomfortable with that, but what are the mm -hmm. kinds of things that you're seeing popping up? Um, well, yeah, I mean, you see, you see companies like MoveIt who have grown to you know, be massive companies with uh, adoption from you know, hundreds of millions of consumers and they've done a, an amazing job of, of standing up these kind of multimodal, uh, multimodal uh, platforms where you can access multiple modes of transportation from one uh, particular application. Um, I think like in terms of the, the lay of the land now in our space, I mean, we're seeing actually more companies pop up that are trying to do similar things to what we've done or what we've kind of uh, paved the pathway of is, is really around gig, empower gig, gig worker empowerment. And some of them are taking the approach to, be more broader in the in the gig worker spectrum, um, in in the way they empower um, those workers. Whereas, like a company like Gridwise, we're very focused on gig drivers uh, per se, in the movement of uh, in, in those drivers who are focused on the movement of people and goods and, and services. I would say, in terms of other other technologies or applications outside of like the the gig worker space or gig worker empowerment. I would say is um, there's there's other like loyalty rewards platforms that have that have come into play that are really trying to uh, allow you to earn points and redeem those points for and, and transfer those into uh, convert those into flight miles or discounts at at retail stores or things of that sort and, and by based off of how many Uber Lyft rides you take and um, or other rides you take on other uh, other types of services or how much you use other types of services and so. I, I do feel that there is still a gap and a gap for a company that can kind of be the, the kayak of the on-demand transportation or gig, um, gig mobility uh, side of things. And, and there's some companies that have, I, I think, have done a, a great job, like um, a company called Migo, uh, Jeff, who, who runs a company there. I, their challenge was is that they actually closed uh, deals with Uber and Lyft and connected into them in addition to many other mobility providers uh, across the country. But as soon as Uber and Lyft went public, they actually cut off their feeds and, and actually didn't uh, allow them to connect them because they didn't want price comparisons happening as they were trying to mask the prices more to consumers. And so what they've had to do is go to Europe where those companies are still open, open for them. There is a little bit more fragmentation and they're operating there and actually uh, able to, they're, they're doing pretty well in, in, in that sense of, of aggregating all those services and allowing consumers to choose a kind of the best ride that they want to take at that time. So that's something that I feel like is still missing in the U S from the consumer standpoint, um, there, but those are some of the technologies, um, some of the technologies that I would say we're seeing from a, a at least a mobile standpoint, but there, there are others outside of that, that are kind of focused on the broader, there's been a, a large spark over the last few years of companies 
who are focused on the the analytics side of things, where they're providing uh, transportation uh, analytics and, and and providing insight to uh, to help empower cities make better uh, policy decisions or, or infrastructure decisions. Um, and there's a lot of those like city focused platforms that have popped up that have have, have really tied into the um, uh, mobility data specification feeds that allow you to consume uh, scooter data and bike share data and others. And then they're trying to, the data is accessible, but they want to help cities and others visualize that and, and be able to kind of really plan, create a, a user experience where they can like plan their infrastructure and simulate um, different types of uh, uh, decisions that they may be trying to make. So that's uh, been a big wave as well. What about if you look more long-term, like next decade type of things? I mean, some of these startups and yourselves hopefully will be around and will have changed the landscape by then. Mm-hmm. Um, w- w- in terms of sort of autonomous driving, I mean, I could think about, you know, on the data side, there's going to be hopefully these battles about who owns, uh, which data is going to be settled. There's going to be a bunch of new business models, perhaps. W- what do you see happening large scale? I mean, First off, is is the segment growing very so fast that you know ten years from now, I mean, what what kind of traffic are you are we looking at? And and you know to to address this autonomous segment, uh, how much of traffic is do you, do you think uh, will be autonomous by that time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ten years is a good uh, like over the next ten years is you'll you I think we'll start to see more commercialization of the autonomous systems. Is a lot of the focus right now is on freight, uh, and I think where there's going to be the the, the quickest um, uh, um, or the most uh, rapid speed to commercialization there. Uh, from there, I think we'll start to see more autonomous systems that are kind of tying into delivery and, and movement of, of goods and kind of the last mile sense. And then in, in the latter part of that deck, uh, the decade is, is getting more into the commercialization of, of where you're actually moving people. But we obviously know that's where the most liability is. There's going to be the most friction from a uh, consumer sentiment standpoint, but also from a regulatory standpoint. But I do think is um, I don't I don't think that the, the human drivers necessarily or, or um, would be uh uh, will go away in the next 10 years. I think you're going to see quite a hybrid market. There's going to be so many different types of scenarios where it makes sense for a, a, a human to complete this job or, t- or task or delivery uh, and other times where it's going to make sense for an autonomous vehicle to do that. And and so I, I think is um, that's going to be a big, uh, as those services come into play, there's going to be a lot around just like how those how they complement each other and how you operate a network that may have a hybrid of both autonomous and humans, but also maintain, you know, equitable and fair rights for the human workers and not showing that you're just kind of displacing them um, completely. So I, I do think that as I mean, we'll see more and more autonomous modes of uh, in systems over over the next 10 years. I I do think that the, the data privacy and and data sharing uh, component, of of this is is another disruptor uh, over the next ten years to see is just how you're seeing a, a lot of a lot of uh, restrictions come into play, especially from a, a mobile app standpoint of where Apple and and, and Google are both locking down on, on Android are both really kind of locking down on how location is shared and how accessible people's location are, which has been a huge driver into 
the understanding of, 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 of this movement of people and goods and, and consumers and foot traffic and so many things. And so it's really going to redefine the way that we can actually, like the question comes to be is like, how do we leverage or infer similar types of data when that data that we've been leveraging over the past you know, eight or so years is, is more inaccessible. And, and data is really just becoming the key driver or and key force to any of these companies that are coming out, whether autonomous or human-driven fleets, to help them understand how to best expand their services, how to best price them, how to best allocate their fleet and understand where, from an autonomous standpoint, where should my vehicle be stationed at or staging at at any given time uh, to make sure that it's not like there's butts, butts in that seat as, as much as possible that the vehicle is utilized. So it's really, it's going to be an interesting landscape, but I think it's going to be a very data-driven decade to really build and, and, and maintain these systems, but also to make the changes from a municipal or uh, uh, city standpoint to ch- make the changes in infrastructure that are needed to support this. Because I think that's where one of the biggest gaps are and where <clears throat> cities have struggled in understanding how you know how are our curbs being utilized? How do we better monetize the curb, and how do we change our infrastructure to actually uh, adapt and, and, and make for more seamless flow of these types of on-demand services that aren't inducing congestion, which have been said to be doing so right now? One of the things you said early on was you started this company, and what, part of what you're doing is to augment and empower the frontline worker. The frontline mm-hmm. worker has been a embattled right during covid and and also generally if you think of technology development it, it hasn't always been that the kind of automation or the kind of technology that we put in place hasn't necessarily always been a net positive uh, effect for for sort of the end uh, the, the worker at the end of the line the worker that's in front of in front of you the worker that's usually taking more risks and and we've talked about the compensation issues and other things uh, was that part of the motivation when you started this company? I mean, obviously, you start a company, you, you're trying to create a business model that has moat. But what, was part of your frustration as a as a driver, was it related to this empowering or is that more of a side effect? And by empowering, you're asking for the empowering of, of workers? Yeah, because I mean, yeah. right now, it seems like what your solution is doing is essentially empowering uh, the gig economy drivers to take a little bit of the power back from essentially from the companies in the sense that they have more data so they can make wiser decisions in terms of their own mm-hmm. workday, and and it's I find it an interesting example of you know a trend in technology now which you see in factories and other places where these kind of like no or low code platforms are actually enabling workers to make some choices about how they're gonna go about their work where they're getting immediate feedback so they can adjust as opposed to just giving the factory itself or the owners the data four weeks later so they can say, well, actually, this lot of group, you know, workers could be laid off because they're inefficient and that other, mm-hmm. right? Instead, you're actually putting the data in front of the individual so they themselves mm-hmm. can make these day-to-day and minute-by-minute decisions that affect their salaries, their uh, I guess comfort in in their workday and a lot of interesting, you know, I would say good developments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say since since uh, in coming into Gridwise, our focus was in empowerment of of the the drivers. In terms of when we thought about that, we we saw where it made most sense to start was in focusing on helping them make the best operational decisions related to what's happening in the city at any given time. Mm. We didn't really understand coming into it, you know, what are all the ways that we can empower workers? 
But what we started to see is that like, I think something that was very surprising early on is we, we thought that we could build a, a set of, you know, a feature or two that would really apply to 80 or 90% of the drivers out there and be valuable to them. What we started to see is that, you know, drivers are the personas of drivers are, there's so many of them and they're broken up based off of their personal, their, their personal schedules, the, the, whether they're full-time versus part-time, their personal preferences related to driving. Some of them will never drive and wait at the airport. Others will like always, they, they live by it. Others will not drive late nights. Others drive mornings. And so like their strategies are really just all, kind of all over the place. And so to really be, to empower those workers where we saw is like, we needed to create more of a, uh, an experience that is, it becomes a companion across the entire journey and supports the use cases of so many different personas of drivers to help them really make the most well-rounded decisions. But then from there, what we learned is that we needed to not only provide analytics, but we saw, you know, as we've seen that drivers really lack benefits, but like for one service provider to provide benefits, it's very difficult. But when you're a, a service that really is encompassing of drivers across all services, you're positioned to really provide benefits in a unique way that can be ap applicable to drivers across all services across the ecosystem. And so where we've seen is outside of the analytics is that it's really uh, what we're starting to build now is more of a, a marketplace of services as well uh, that provide them income protection or discounts on gas, or uh, we're building out more insurance and financial products or things of that sort that really focus on providing the benefits that they're missing, but would be difficult to just receive from one service when they're trying to work for many services. Hmm. Wow, it's a, it's a fascinating new and emergent economy that just has shown up over the last few years. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Well, thank you so much for sharing these insights. I hope we can uh, we can stay in touch. I guess the last little question is is simply if I have a listener who tries to track or understand or even get in on this game of gig mobility, uh, what are the places where where this kind of thing is tracked? I mean, are there bloggers that are influential in this space? Uh, what sort of consulting companies have mm -hmm. uh, you know stood up reports that are tracking this field? So Ryan, I was just curious about as you're tracking this field, uh, you, obviously Gridwise is a, is a good resource in and of itself, but uh, can you mention just a couple of other sources that might be useful for people tracking the gig mobility space? Yeah, I would, I would say outside of, of um, Gridwise and, and kind of where we're tracking from a, a, what we call Gridwise Analytics in our blog that exists there, is I, I would say others, others in the space, um, uh, you can think of the, the rideshare guy. Uh, he's become a, a pretty prominent influencer in the space. It's, um doesn't only speak about rideshare, but also um, speaks about the gig economy as a whole and, and trends associated with uh, within it. Uh, and he has some interesting interviews with like the CEO of Uber and some executives at other service providers as well. The uh, In addition to that, I mean, there's a lot of um, white papers that are being produced from large consulting firms, you think of, of uh, Deloitte or, or Bain or companies like that are really covering the mobility space, but also um, uh, you think of, surprisingly, is like companies like MasterCard are really focused in this space and, and thinking about how you know transactions are playing out in the gig economy and, and how this is shaping up. And I think they have a lot of interesting reports about the gig economy as a whole that they've come out with even over the past year. Um, in addition to some of the large banks like Goldman Sachs are, are writing a lot about um, the future of mobility and, and um, there's a lot to learn from those white papers as well. 
Well, thanks a lot, Ryan. This was a great conversation. I wish you uh, best of luck as we move ahead, and I hope we can uh, touch base. Now, the economy here changes by the minute, so I'm sure a year from now, <laughs> we'll have a lot of different news. I hope so. Well, thanks for having me today, Trump. You have just listened to episode 89 of the Futurized podcast with host Trondarne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was gig mobility. In this conversation, we talked about whether gig mobility services become the standard for how to move in cities. And what does the future of driver intelligence look like? We discussed the emerging market size and key verticals such as transportation, city government, real estate and financial services. We cover disruptive forces and barriers such as COVID-19, security, data protection and IP. I asked Ryan about the exciting startups he sees in the space and we discussed the next decade's autonomy, data sharing and mobility as a service adoption. My takeaway is that gig mobility is becoming the standard for how to move in cities. We are moving into a period with a hybrid fleet of various degrees of human and autonomous driving enabled. The quest for data and the question of who owns it will also hit transportation. Being a connector between different mobility services is an interesting space to be in, a role one would have expected national, regional and city governments to occupy, but now becoming a battleground for large mobility players as well as emerging startups. Are we at the cusp of the truly smart city? Just maybe, but there's going to be dumb infrastructure challenges remaining for some years to come. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode three, the remaking of transportation, episode 82, the future of grid energy innovation, or episode 16, the future of human perception AI. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.